Well, good morning and welcome to Bloomer Baptist Church. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. This will be page 919 in the Pew Bibles. There will be no slides today, so it is important to have your own Bibles open or a Bible from the pews. Ephesians chapter 4. Are you fashionable? Last week we talked about this idea of are you fashionable? Fashionable or practical. The whole world is obsessed with fashion, we said. We try to be fashionable in many ways. We act and talk in a fashionable way. We try to dress in a fashionable way too. To be fashionable is what some would consider to be normal, to be right, to be popular. And this goes far beyond your clothing choices. It could be clothes, but it could also be your facial hair or even the way you walk, talk, or behave. A couple of definitions would include, one, fashionable, characteristic of, influenced by, or representing a current popular trend or style, and two, dressing or behaving according to said current popular style. It is more important, though, to be practical than fashionable, but it is, it is possible to be fashionably practical But let's do it in practical ways, godly ways, and together we must be biblically fashionable and practical. As Christ followers, we must strip off the old societal ways, trends, and put on the godly, holy trends we find in Christ. Ways of living, walking, behaving, speaking in accordance to God's holy standard and not the world's. Put on the righteous ways of God. Be clothed in Christ. This is more than a recommendation, more than optional. It is our responsibility, a requirement of a follower of Christ. Soldiers, firemen, policemen, astronauts, they all have something great in common. They know that what matters most is to be putting on the uniform which protects and provides. As Christians, us putting on Christ in his righteous ways provides for our every need. Soldiers, firemen, police, astronauts, They recognize the importance of being practical. As Christians, we need to live practically. We must not just think about right ways to behave and dress. We must live in accordance to those ways. The word practical has a definition of the actual doing or use of something rather than just with theory or ideas. A second similar definition would be a way likely to succeed or be effective in real circumstances? Are we living biblically, fashionably, and practically? Let's look to God's word together now and see not just theories or ideas how to live, but practical ways to walk and live the right way and be successful at glorifying, the God, glorifying God with holy lives. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. We'll be focusing today, though, on that second part, as this is week two in this short little two-week series in Ephesians, 25 to 32, but we'll start with 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Two, as we said last week, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Now, today's scripture, verse 25, starts off, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, Verse 32, we end this section, this chapter. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're going to move quite fast today to work through this, as we have a lot going on today with a special business meeting after the service, or at the end of the service, as well as a baby dedication. Please stick around at the end if you're a member, especially as we need your votes. As we start the, the context of the sermon, I want to say it's not as important to be fashionable as it is to be practical, or at least in a worldly sense. Let me give you an illustration. When a child is going out to play in the snow and the cold, a mother or father will often be heard in the background saying things like, Johnny, put on your coat. Johnny, do you have your gloves on? Johnny, don't forget your hat. Johnny, don't wear those shoes. Johnny, put your boots on. Johnny, don't roll your eyes at me. Johnny, put that coat back on. Just as it is important for a child to put on the right clothes for playing in the snow, we must, as Christians, put on the right clothes as followers of Christ. And God, as Father, knows best. What does it look like to follow Christ? God tells us what it looks like in his word. To put off the old and put on the new and more appropriate and practical. As we talked last week, to be renewed by your minds. There's a lot to talk about today. Again, a lot which could be their own sermons, each verse. But we'll quickly cover each point or idea, starting with this. Number one, the new wardrobe is one which, one, puts away falsehood. Puts away falsehood. No lies, no twisting the truth, no exaggeration. <laughs> now that is hard. I'm a fisherman, a hunter, a man. We all like to exaggerate a bit with certain truths, but all these things take away glory from God. As it, A, brings glory to you or others instead, and B, allows Satan a foothold in your life. How does you exaggerating about a fish or a shot on a nice big 20-point buck give Satan a foothold? Well, if we can lie, if we can twist the truth, if we can exaggerate in a little, 
Satan can twist us and manipulate us to lie with bigger things as well. How about with the budget, with spending habits, with emotions, with physical and mental health? How about lying or exaggerating with your spiritual health? These are serious things that need truthful speech. We must be honest in these things. Another point in speaking truth is that we must not avoid speaking truth when it's hard and necessary to others. Sometimes we avoid, we avoid telling people what they need to hear. The truth of sin, the truth of love, the truth of how you're impressed by them or thankful for them. The truth of God's word, the truth of God's love, the truth of repentance, trust, and life in Jesus. The truth of hell, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not spare your neighbor the truth. Number two, do not sin in your anger. We have two things here. One, A, be angry and do not sin, it says. And B, or two, do not let the sun go down on your anger. As I said, you could have a whole sermon on these little mini ideas of how to live as a Christ follower, but we're moving fast. And regarding these two things, first, we see there is a way to be angry and not sin. Now, don't go too far looking for this, though. This should not be an excuse to go around looking for reasons to always be angry. James 1, 19 to 20 tells us, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we are to be angry and not sin, it must be at things which go along with God's anger, things which go against his righteous ways. We must be angry at sin. As one author stated, righteous anger stems from an anger that arises when we witness an offense against God or his word. For instance, many Christians reacted to a Netflix show the other year that featured a homosexual Jesus because this is blasphemy. Righteous anger was the correct response in this case, this author stated. Righteous anger doesn't seek to hurt. Love doesn't retaliate. Righteous anger stems from love because it recognizes that someone's actions or words stray from the path of righteousness. And love desires to bring someone back to the truth. This is righteous anger. But we must be careful that anger does not control us. Instead, love and Christ's ways must control and guide us. The uplifting and edification of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. We must be slow to anger, it says, slow to anger, or be angry and do not sin. We are not God. We can be overcome and controlled by anger and other emotions, and we then have a hard time letting things go, moving on, and reconciling our differences. We must be careful. But also note, it's not enough to be slow to anger. We must be gentle in our anger. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stores up anger. Secondly, do not allow the sun to go down on your anger. We must move forward, seek reconciliation, seek God's glory, and help in resolving our differences. You see, God forgives and is still just. 
And we also can, should, and are commanded to forgive. In some things we must choose to, after making problems known, give them over to God or someone else's assistance, a brother or sister in Christ, a pastor, a doctor, a counselor, or a therapist. Sometimes the best way to deal with our anger, even righteous anger, is by showing love. God had righteous anger at our sin, but chose not wrath against the sinner, but to show us love and compassion by sending Jesus to the cross to show us a way back to him. Show these people Christ. Show them love. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans 12, 17 to 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes our actions of love, compassion, forgiveness, and provision can speak louder than words. There may be a time to be angry and without sinning, but there are many more scriptures for us which explain not being angry than how to be angry. Again, do not give any opportunity to Satan, the devil. Do not be controlled. Do not be overcome by anger. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We will discuss our anger and Christian conduct more in a few verses, so let's move on. Number three, do not steal. Be an honest worker. Number three, do not steal. Be an honest worker. Maybe you're thinking to yourself right now that you've never stolen a thing in your life, and that's good. But an honest worker, not thieving from an employer, a boss, a parent, how do we waste our time this could also be considered like stealing from someone. How do you thieve from God by not living how you should, by not obeying him, by not using your time in a worthy way? You see, your work and the quality of your work should glorify God. Number four, share with those in need. Share with those in need. We have been given, been blessed so much. We are to share in, with those in need. For the next few points, I want to read, reread verses 29 to 32 as they both summarize or wrap all these things up well, but they also work together for several points of action. So going back to Ephesians 4, look in your copy of God's Word to verse 29, where we read, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Also, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Number five, and it's hard to number these things now, our anger, our talk, our actions as, 
as workers in whatever situation we are in, everything we do should be for the purpose of building up others and glorifying God. This means we must avoid, as God's word tells us, bitterness, wrath, anger, when at all possible, instead be kind, tenderhearted, and showing forgiveness as Christ showed us. God's word emphasizes this to us because it's not easy to us. It's not natural to us. We must look to Jesus' example, his characteristics, his actions. Are we followers of our emotions? Are we followers of the world? Or are we followers of Christ? Who do we proclaim to be new in? Are you new? Let's act new. Number six, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Throat got dry. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in these things. The Holy Spirit is often ignored and forgotten as Francis Chan in a popular and well-read book called him the Forgotten God. But nonetheless, he is in reality part of the Trinity, God, the third part of the Godhead, and is able to be grieved just as the Father and Son in heaven may be grieved as well. He is real. The Holy Spirit is a divine being who is fully personal. A proof of this verse is verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The root idea of the word grieve is to cause pain. And the fact that the Holy Spirit can experience pain and sorrow and personal distress shows his personal nature. As one author stated, understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person who experiences joy and grief through the lives of those he indwells makes possible great spiritual advances. For two reasons. One, first, because we are able to better see how much we are loved. As we grieve over the failures of those we love, so does the Holy Spirit grieve. Charles Spurgeon said, For it is an inexpressibly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things, and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends to enter into such infinite relationships with his people that his divine mind may be affected by their actions. His great love for us makes possible his grief. You are greatly loved. Secondly, we are motivated to holiness by knowing of his great love. Innumerable sons and daughters have drawn back from sin at the thought of the pain it would bring their parents and there is a similar effect on those who fully understand that their sin will hurt the Holy Spirit, will hurt God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is for your best interest to live according to God's ways and for God's glory. None of us who are truly Christ followers should want to grieve the Holy Spirit. His loving ministry draws our hearts to him, especially when we think of all he does. He baptized us into the body of Christ at the moment of our salvation, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It was then that he also sealed us, declaring us to be his possession. Chapter 1, 13 and 4, 30 talks of this. 
He has also indwelt us, just as God promised to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 27, which says, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Regarding this, Jesus similarly said in John 14, 16, and 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of the truth, the word cannot accept him, world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. As a result, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Finally, he is also teaching you. Jesus said in John sixteen twelve and 13, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. What a wonderful truth this all is. Truth which should compel us to live differently, to make different choices, holy ones. So what are we to do as we wrap up? What are we to do with all this? Number one, knowing all this, and this just a little of the Holy Spirit's work within our lives, of Christ's work within our lives, of God's work. No true Christ followers should purposely seek to grieve God. And when we do, we should go to our knees in humble prayer, repenting, turning away from sinful ways towards holiness and seeking forgiveness. Number two, we must check ourselves in the mirror when you get up each morning. Check yourself before you go to bed. Are you stripping the old wardrobe and putting on the new, the more practical, the better and God-glorifying righteous ways of God? Are you being fashionable by the world's sense or God's sense? I do not mean to blaspheme God with this next idea, but please understand me, hear me, and extend grace when I compare God to our parents. God, as a parent, is trying to tell us, just as that earlier illustration, Johnny, put on your coat. Johnny, put on your hat and gloves. Don't roll your eyes at me, Johnny. People, people of God, stop rolling your eyes at God. Listen and obey his ways. He wants what is best for you. He wants you to live righteous and holy lives. He's trying to tell you how to best live, and this way of living will also glorify him greatly as your father. Let's be holy, for he is holy. Put a smile on God's face, on the Holy Spirit's face. Do not grieve him. Glorify God in all ways. Father, Son, and Spirit. Be new. Be new. Strip off the old. Put on the new. Every single day, look in the mirror. How can we lead lives which bring a smile to the person of the Holy Spirit instead of a frown of grief? How do we glorify God in our lives? Follow these principles for practical Christian living. I'm going to close in prayer and song now, and then we'll be having a baby dedication, followed by a short special business meeting. So please stick around. Um, after the baby dedication, those who are not members, and if you have places to go, are dismissed. But please stick around, members, for a short special business meeting. 
Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are God and we are not, for you are gracious and merciful. You're all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your guidance and your wisdom. Help us to live by this wisdom. Amen.